Hi everyone, I'm your host, Daniel Lee, and welcome to OMD Daily, a podcast about investing in people. Every Monday to Friday, I share with you what I learned the day before from studying people and companies through conversations, whether it's through interviewing investors and business leaders, to reading books and financial reports, and digesting learnings from all the other storytelling mediums out there. The goal is to build my own PhD in combining human performance with investing to figure out how I can help leaders build utopian companies. By exploring my own curiosity, I hope to become a little wiser every day and hope this adds a little nugget of learning to you on a daily basis. Hey folks, this is the June 16th, 2020 episode. Um, I forget the episode number, I think it's 31. Let me check just so I don't mess it up. Is it... Oh, it actually might be 30. Huh, what do you know? It's 30. Um, cool. So episode 30, uh, today will be a business analysis on Pinterest. So that's kind of, so actually I'll start off by saying traditionally, I think in the last few business analysis slash investment research uh, episodes, I utilized Phil Fisher's 15 points um, as a foundation. This time I wanted to kind of move away from that and it's kind of a mix of I'm using the checklist still as a way to compile all my notes, but I also enjoy writing and I just wanted to go back to writing in a blank canvas kind of style. Um, It might mean that my, uh, I guess, analysis report itself might not be as easy to follow in some cases because it's just not as structured, but it's kind of more of a flow of my own mindset of how I'm thinking about companies, what I'm looking at, etc. So... Like always, you can find the full, some, I don't know, I think this is like a 10-page report on my site, omdventures.com, and it's also in the show notes for this particular episode as well, um, if you can't find it. But honestly, it's you can go to the blog page, the podcast page, it'll all be there, and even on the homepage, it's part of the recent uh, updates that you can look at. Cool. So let's start by looking at the company. I'll, once again, I'm not going to go over exhaustively the full 10 page. I want to make it more of a high level, focus on some key details, maybe get you a little interested in the company, teach you a little bit um, just in the high level what what Pinterest is. And I'll start with the kind of origin story or how should I begin this? Mm, yeah, well, let's, let's look at it this way. Um, Pinterest is... So if you're not familiar with Pinterest, I'll kind of talk about the product itself. So what is Pinterest? Pinterest is a a business that is on a mission to bring everyone the inspiration to create a life they love. So it's a company with a particular set purpose set by its founders. And it's a free product that you can use. It comes in both a mobile app form and a desktop uh, web version that you can use. And I'd say it's... It's very comparable to Instagram in one way because it, it's a very visual product. It has a mix of images and videos. But where, where it's different is the kind of use case for it. So I'm just going to use Instagram continuously kind of as a example. But Instagram is kind of a place where I think, so also oh, another kind of caveat, I'm neither a user of Pinterest nor Instagram. I've used both before in the past, so my use cases could be a little outdated. Um, just 
I'm kind of going off of what people around me say and what I observe from the, what they do. So Instagram is kind of the place I think where people go on to, because they're bored. I think that's the per- specific purpose of Instagram. And Pinterest is where I'd say people go on because they're looking to create some kind of quote unquote board, which I'll get into later. Um, or to just find some kind of inspiration behind a project that they're trying to do or, or something they're trying to buy. So Pinterest kind of has particular terms. So there's something called a board and there's something called pins. Pins are the main kind of content that you can that you see these various images and videos that you can save onto your own board. So a board is kind of, it's what it literally is. It's, it's like a digital poster board that you fill in with all kinds of images that inspire you. So then you can create various kinds of categories, like you can have a board for tattoos. So then you can pin all these pins, which are images or videos um, of all kinds of tattoos that fit exactly the kind of ones that you might want to get. So if you want to have specific arm tattoos of a specific design, you can try to find as much much, um, of the images that fit your category by searching for them, um, over time it'll show up in your home feed as the platform gets more, I guess, in tune with your own preferences. You can create boards about, you know, vacation spots. You can even get more specific and maybe make your own kind of summer vacation board, and then include all the locations you want to go to and all these through all these pictures. You can even have some for like outfits, interior design, hairstyle, just anything that kind of gives like a visual lens. And I think the way the analogy I use is, it's kind of like Um, a vision board you know when there's kind of all these kind of self-help books or exercise even back in you know when you're in elementary school or primary school where they tell you in the career day or something to go through magazines cut out images or jobs that really inspire you and you get all these pictures and then you plaster them on to this giant poster board and that's kind of your quote-unquote vision board that you have as like your dream life Pinterest is kind of the digital version of that. That's how I would really describe it. You're creating all these boards that inspire you and fit exactly what you want to create for your own life. And the company's origin story kind of, I think it's a little also hazy, um, at least from the interviews that I watched with the founder, Ben Silberman. Uh, He's also the CEO of the company. So Ben, it kind of starts with Ben's story where Ben... um, he was a pre-med student and he thought he'd be a doctor because his entire family are doctors. And long story short, he ended up working at Google um, after a gig in consulting. And it seems like he always had this passion to like build products and he was a very product-oriented person. So he leaves Google in 2008 with a sole fo- focus of building a company. And it's not like, I'd say, more common stories where people do something on the side while working a full-time job. Like Ben just kind of quit cold turkey and just went into trying to figure out what kind of product could he build. And he was, I think, working on a product called tote.com, I want to say, and that wasn't going well. But Pinterest came up as his other idea. And I think the company officially started somewhere between 2009 and 2010, given their equity bonus plan, uh, equity stock option plan is dated in 2009. I think the starting year is 2009. But yeah, that's when the company kind of started, uh, and it's based in San Francisco in California. And one of the reasons I decided to look at this company was because of um, what I learned about Ben Silberman. Like, I learned about him through various interviews in the past, like podcast interviews. Um, I learned about him through books as well, like um, Tim Ferriss's 
large uh, Tribe of Mentors book, where I think I've read an entry by Ben Silberman. And something that interested me about Ben was how he uses the term parallel processing, um, which I felt like I was the only person that used that term before. And so that was pretty cool, where it's just the idea of, you know, constantly just finding ways of killing, hitting two birds with one stone. And I thought that was pretty interesting. I learned that he uses Tim Urban's mortality chart, um, which is something I don't use Tim Urban's chart, but I have a separate kind of indicator for my own mortality that I like to use. And his view on kind of thinking of memento mori uh, was also kind of, it just got me, it just pulled me closer to, you know, you get attracted to people who kind of think like you, do things that you like. And so that kind of pulled me in. And I also found a story of growing up in a household of doctors pretty interesting because he talks about how when, you, when you're surrounded by people who go through these 12-year medical careers um, just in undergrad, med school, residency, etc., and their life only begins after like 12 years of intense study, you end up thinking about everything in a really long-term period. So then building a startup for 10 years kind of gets, uh, it's pretty similar to that. And so then he talks about how it influences mindset to kind of think in a really long-term manner and everything in five to 10 years. And so I thought that was also intriguing and it made me want to look into the company a little more. And let's see. Yeah, so that's kind of the story of why I started looking into Pinterest despite not being a user myself and not really even understanding the company. So a lot of my day was actually spent just trying to understand what does this company do? Why do people use it? And it's, I'll kind of start by talking about, I think, the key things, like how the company even makes money. Because I think that was like my big question because it it was, a, I think, a story that continuously nagged at the back of my mind because I saw Pinterest open up an office in Toronto and, it, and I just remember thinking, why would anybody use this kind of product? You're just pinning stuff onto a board. How does it make money? And given its recent IPO in 2019, I was even more surprised to learn that it was like a 10 billion market cap company. Um, I think it's 11 billion now, like the enterprise value is close to 10 billion, I think. <clears throat> and so it turns out the company generates sales of around 1.1 billion uh, as of 2019. More than 90% of their sales uh, are based in the US and their monthly active user base is around 335 million uh, as of 2019. And a good chunk are actually international. I think only something like 26% of their monthly active users are based in the US, um, despite 90% of the revenue coming from the U.S. So then you see this kind of weird uh, disconnect with the ARPU number because the ARPU for the U.S. consumers is like $4, whereas international is 0. So it's $0.21, cents, um, $0.21. And the way the company makes money is primarily through advertising. So that's where I think it's also similar to kind of the Instagram business model where it's everything's free for the user. There's no kind of premium option and... What, um, what the company gets out of having all these users and providing this product is that they have this platform for advertisers to advertise on. And generally there's, I'd say, um, they don't break this out explicitly, but it seems like there's kind of two forms of advertising. There's the performance advertising side, which I assume is the cost per click, as well as the conversion events um, that make about two thirds of their revenue right now. And there's the brand advertising side, which is, more of the cost per impression, CPM, and the video views like CPV that make up the remainder. And most of their customers, uh, the advertisers, are in the CPG retail function. And they note that there is a concentration 
um, of a small number of large retail com- companies slash media agencies or advertising agencies that are their customer base. So that is noted as a risk even in the annual report. And you can kind of get a sense that, yeah, like the customer might have more say. Uh, the advertisers might have more say to Pinterest and they might not have as much um, control like compared to like Facebook where everybody just wants to be on Facebook and they can set the rules. Whereas for Pinterest, because of the concentration of their customer base, um, they might not have as much say in what they want to do and they might have to listen to what the advertisers tell them they want in the product, which can be a good and bad thing. Um, something else to note is that at least from what the management has said, um, I quote, they say, many of our advertisers only recently started working with us and spend a relatively small portion of their overall advertising budget with us, end quote. And in one perspective, I think when I first read that, I thought, oh, okay, so are they trying to insinuate or kind of, would, would the first impression be that, oh, because it's right now it's only a small portion, we could expect a greater portion of the overall ad budget being allocated to Pinterest. And my initial hypothesis with the product, which was the intriguing part for me, was that, hmm, well, unlike Instagram, where people go on because they're bored, and I imagine they just kind of see these random ads, and I personally thought that no one would be interacting with them because it has nothing to do with why you're on the platform, like you're not on it to buy anything, compared to Pinterest, where you're constantly actively archiving and creating all these boards where if you you know want to I don't know cut your hair a certain way and you're looking at hairstyles, it would make sense that when you search for hairstyles, people will advertise hairstyles. It's just exactly what you want. It's kind of like um, advertising on Amazon. Like you're going on Amazon with a specific uh, purpose of buying something. So then when you get advertised various things, it actually makes sense because it might actually help you make your decision. Um, and so my thought was that, yeah, so I would imagine the targeting advertising would be pretty powerful on Pinterest and the value proposition would be there. And so I decided to actually call up a couple of friends. Um, this is just all just happening in a period of one day uh, who work in the kind of the performance marketing industry as well as like the ad agency industry. And just kind of, I guess, to dig their brains on what what is their experience like? Do they actually use Pinterest um, for their clients, for their for the company that they work with? What what is the result system like? And unanimously, Facebook uh, was touted as the best platform to use. And I think the high level stat that my friend gave me was how most advertising budget, most uh, marketers would spend about maybe forty to fifty percent of their budget on Facebook, and then twenty to thirty percent on Google, and then the rest. Uh, would be on all the other kind of digital platforms, like a mix of Twitter, Snapchat, um, and Pinterest. And apparently, the the ecosystem is so vastly different that Pinterest is considered, uh, quote-unquote, a terrible-slash-inferior <laughs> ecosystem for advertisers, apparently. And it's there's a multitude of factors, um, one particular one being the fact that Facebook and Google just have way more data. And because they have way more data, they also have um, all these kinds of tools and they've built this wonderful ecosystem apparently that allows for advertisers to be extremely specific in the various campaigns they test. And because there's so many different tool sets, you can do so many different kinds of A-B testing to just continuously refine your craft to get a higher ROI because really performance marketers and advertisers are really in one essence investors because they deploy a certain amount of capital in ad spend and they want to have a certain kind of return back. 
and Facebook ads are known to be more expensive than um, Twitter's or Pinterest, for example. And I think on average, Facebook ads are always more expensive, but the cost is kind of only marginally more expensive compared to the ROI. So I think the delta between the ROIs are just so more vastly superior in Facebook that more people will end up um, using Facebook slash Google. I just kind of lost my train of thought there as I was rambling. Um, oh, and so there's the kind of ecosystem slash data side. And then the other thing that um, my friend on the ad agency side brought up that was interesting is kind of the the barrier that new advertising platforms have um, because so if you think of yourself in the shoes of ad agencies um, who manage the ad budgets of large CPG retail companies, which happened to be the case for uh, my friend's company, they like when you sell your services um, to like a Starbucks, for example, they are kind of trusting a certain kind of result, right? When you hire a consultant, when you hire an agency, and the results you got historically are going to be what you sell as part of your portfolio. And if you've been using Facebook for a long time, and that kind of is the case across the board because Facebook and Google are the more established players, the ad campaign operators inside the agencies are more familiar with the tools in Facebook. And they know the formulas to tweak. They, they have a toolkit. They have a formula, um, a strategy that they go, you know, use as a go-to thing. So they're not going to risk their reputa- their career reputation by trying out a different platform that they are not sure they can provide the results with. Sure, they might have some leeway with A-B testing and stuff. And from what my friends tell me that they do try A-B testing with Google and kind of other platforms like Pinterest. And he just, he doesn't know the specific numbers, but he told me that how, yeah, like the ROI was just not worth it. And so they end up just reverting back to Facebook and using Facebook. And Given how Pinterest has a mix, so Pinterest has a mix of small clients who are a mix of direct um, advertising, where the CPG client is the actual company itself. Like, let's say, for example, it's Starbucks, and Starbucks just pays uh, Pinterest directly, and they have the direct relationship. Or it could be a large advertising agency um, that has a relationship with Pinterest and that agency has relationships with all the other large CPG companies. I don't know, like Procter and Gamble and Johnson and Johnson, but Pinterest will be working with that agency specifically. And given that is the case for an agency, yeah, they have a certain kind of um, reputation to keep in mind. And if they're more familiar with Facebook, they will probably use more Facebook. And I think there's also the case in a third way that large companies um, have a much bigger budget and they are more willing to kind of spread it all around. Like they they don't really need to go all in on Facebook. There's kind of more of a diminishing return where there's only so many ad dollars you can pump into Facebook to get the kind of engagement you want. Um, bigger companies would want to be in TV, billboards, even other digital platform. And that could be also one of the reasons why Pinterest gets a small portion of the overall ad budget for these large companies. It's kind of a natural uh, flow where it's it could actually be the case that Pinterest isn't that great of a platform, but it's more so for the large CPG companies. They just need a place to allocate money, and Pinterest is just one of this, you know, tail end of many digital platforms that they will use after their primary source gets put into the dependable one, like the cash cows, like Facebook and Google. And so, given us uh, Pinterest's strategy, according to management. 
for growth um, incorporates advertising in international markets as well as moving downstream to small and medium businesses. When I speak to um, a few of, friend, few of my friends who run small businesses um, and how they do advertising, they're extremely uh, risk averse in terms of marketing spend. Like if you're going to put in thousands of dollars, you don't want to diversify either. You don't want to experiment with others either. You want to go with the one that works. And like these these folks are just debating between like Google and Facebook in case like they don't even do both. Like if Google isn't as great as Facebook, they go all in on Facebook. So given that is the case, I'm very skeptical of Pinterest's ability to attract small and medium businesses, especially if their platform isn't proven out like Facebook and Google's is. And so that's a different kind of, I think, brand presence. Pinterest might have a pretty strong brand presence in for the users and uh, product users in terms of what they do and what the specific use case is. They might not actually have a proven um, brand f- for advertisers who actually are the ones that help them make money. So I think that was something interesting I learned about the business and something different to think about as well, where maybe sometimes a product alone is not good enough to attract um, big advertiser spend at all. And in terms of like the international market, I think um, it kind of got me into digging into the overall ad kind of global ad market in like a very kind of superficial way. Um, as far as like Asia goes, specifically like South Korea and Japan, like I've had a, few, a brief moment uh, a few years ago in my investing experience where I looked into the digital advertising ecosystem. And yeah, if Pinterest were to compete in those markets, you're going up against other large incumbents. Like Japan has Yahoo Japan, which is a pretty decent uh, player there. Korea has Naver, um, and consequently, Naver also has Line in Japan, um, which will be hard to compete with. So there are other uh, domestic re- regional incumbents, international markets that Pinterest will have to compete with, which I think makes me a little skeptical, especially for um, big ad dollars. Like They would probably face similar fates where you're still a new player, we don't know you, so you're going to get a small cut of the overall ad budget. And once again, small, medium businesses, probably won't want to take the risk. And in terms of how the overall kind of market is um, placed right now, so in 2019, net um, digital ad spends were, I think, around, according to eMarketer, $330 billion on a global basis. And uh, digital ads accounted for 50% of all of media ad spending. So digital is constantly growing. It's not, people kind of make it seem like Traditional is still very big, but it seems like digital has come a very long way um, to take up total ad spending. And of the digital ad market, Google and Facebook make up something like 50% of the global market. And we also have to consider for the global market that China is a pretty big market. And the third, fifth, and sixth biggest uh, ad players are Alibaba, Baidu, and Tencent. And in one way, they just kind of own one entire country. And it's, it's one market that the big incumbents cannot probably go in. And I really doubt Pinterest can make a dent or even get into China at all. Whereas the reverse is true. I think if a European or North American company wanted to get in front of a Chinese audience, they probably would want to advertise on Alibaba, Baidu, and Tencent. Because why not? That's where all those users are. And they are a vastly fast-growing middle class. So I think there are these kinds of market dynamics in play. Like right now, um, just based on revenue numbers in 2019, Pinterest has a 0.3% market share um, in the overall market. And so in one way, you can say, oh, that means they might have a big uh, room to grow. But at the same time, what, something else I kind of noticed um, from a separate article that I cite in the, the report is how 
although we are seeing a huge shift into digital advertising from traditional advertising, the total amount of ad dollars that were spent in relative to GDP, at least in the U.S., has been declining um, consistently. And so there is, I think, a misconception that people think, oh, if we had $100, let's say $100 billion was spent in advertising as a whole, and 50% is in digital, let's say. So then the digital market is $50 billion. People assume that because traditional is going to die, the remaining 50 will eventually get eaten up by digital. And so they'll be able to get the same pie. But what if the pie isn't really growing that quickly? Um, what if less and less money is actually being put into digital, just into advertising in general? Because digital advertising is, because it's actually much more cost efficient and actually has pretty great returns on investment for such a um, low cost base, it can actually, it's kind of been having like a deflationary effect where you don't actually have to put so much money into it. So then the actual total capital base that's allocated to growing the business might actually move away from all these advertising dollars and maybe it'll be um, reallocated to M&A, maybe it'll be reallocated to internal product development into R&D and investing in engineers and developers. So I think there is a misconception that um, people think because you know companies would spend billions of dollars on Super Bowl ads that all all that money will go flow into digital. That might not be the case. You might not, like that billion dollars might not ever happen. It might never move to digital. Um, and for TV, it might actually get cut to like, you know, maybe a hundred million dollars. Who knows? Like I'm just throwing out scenarios, but I think these are very important things to consider um, because I think people tend to extrapolate what is currently happening in the present but the future might never be the same as what is in the present uh the present situation so that's kind of the overview on the ad market um which pinterest plays in overall i think i kind of left it thinking hmm, i don't know if they can actually grow as quickly i think because historically in the at least the past few years because they're still a relatively young company they've been growing revenues at 50 percent clip their guidance um represented something like a they said 30 percent growth in 2020 who knows with COVID, maybe this helped maybe it didn't because if a company would if starbucks were to cut ad spending um i'm sure they would kind of cut it in the tail end of these small dig- digital platforms they use they probably would reallocate to more certain platforms like facebook and google that's my hypothesis at least so i don't know if they'll actually be able to grow as quickly as they want to um and also yeah i'm not sure if the market can provide i guess like a large enough space for them to grow um just because at least it seems that their platform just isn't as great compared to the existing incumbents and when i talk to my friends um in the ad uh world it seems that like every, they all say they all tell me about tiktok as like the big thing that's more interesting so if that is the case and if if the advertisers are more um the people in the industry are more excited about TikTok as a platform to advertise on, then that also kind of puts Pinterest in the back burner as well. So that was something that kind of made me more iffy on the business itself. But yeah, that's kind of over on, on the market side. But the product itself, I think, is the most interesting thing. Like what I like about the product is kind of what management alludes to, where the whole goal of Pinterest is to push people offline, which seems a little counterintuitive, right? Because 
how can you make money if people are not as engaged on your platform? Because advertisers probably want to have people who are extremely like advertisers probably want to be on platforms that have really engaged users and Facebook and Google probably work really hard to make their platforms as addicting as possible, which is kind of why I don't like being on um, social media platforms because I'm a very addictive person. But Pinterest seems to have a different goal where at least according to Ben Silverman, he says how he wants people to come on, get inspired and go offline to actually execute on these project ideas, which is a mission that I fully support. And I think on a somewhat of an altruistic lens, but also kind of more a personal naive lens, I, I like that mission much more in a product. And I personally think a product that looks to enhance the person's um, life and add value to it um, will do better over time. I also like the fact that Pinterest isn't um, kind of a FOMO social game like what social media platforms are. Um, Management calls Pinterest a media-rich utility instead of a tool, which uh, is what social media and kind of search engines would be. And how Pinterest is more so focused on the individual user. Like it's so you can create a board that you're inspired by without having to feel judged by other people. Whereas social media sites um, are more so about spreading your own content. And yeah, in one way, yeah, you can interact with other people and that is another um, use case for it. But I think there is like a bigger, um, possibly like negative impact of vices like envy and like jealousy, feelings of FOMO that all just prop up. And that's kind of predicated in social media platforms. Also keep in mind that I purposely deleted all social media platforms off my phone, so I'm negatively biased towards them. Um, so that also is kind of my bias I'm trying to be aware of. And that's probably also why I was more interested in Pinterest product because of their desire to push people away um, from online so that they actually go offline and live live their life. And in one way, I think the brand is powerful enough to attract users, so they're um, you know, monthly active user base has continuously been growing. I want to see something close to like a 20% clip annually um, over the last like three, four years. This is just rough in, in the back of my head. I might be wrong on that, um, but I have graphs in the report to talk about it. But the big thing is that the majority of the traffic come from completely organic sources. So either people come directly to the platform because of the brand itself, or they come from SEO traffic which kind of puts them at the mercy of Google in some way and in many other ways, actually, because I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but there is a bit of a risk with Pinterest where they rely on their competitors in many ways. Like they compete with Amazon, but everything they have on the company is hosted on AWS and they compete with Google, but their desktop platform, which I think most people use desktop, I think on Pinterest, they don't space it out, but seeing how management specifically cites their reliance on um, Google's search engine as well as their uh, browser, Chrome browser as a big risk to the business makes me believe that the desktop version is a very important part um, of the user experience. So yeah, like I think the Google Chrome browser blocks a lot of third-party like cookies and it can limit data collection for Pinterest. And if you if it limits your data collection, then your ad platform for advertisers may lose value because how can advertisers, you know, get granular and target specific key things. So if it's a limiting platform, then advertisers won't want to be on your platform either. So it puts Pinterest in a pretty 
vicarious situation where I like that they're building a product that pushes people away, um, that allows them to be themselves, allows them to be creative and get inspired. But it also makes me want, it then makes me wonder, okay, well then how will they make it work with advertisers? Like, I intuitively understand that they are creating an experience where they're trying to create alignment with advertisers and users in a harmonious way by saying, you know, like, yeah, if I wanted to buy a plant and I'm trying to <laughs> find pictures of plants that I like and make a board, it would make sense that I get advertisements from Wayfair that say, buy this plant. Um, and that could actually be very valuable to me. And so that could be harmonious and actually not much of a um, annoyance compared to like when I watch YouTube and I get all these YouTube ads telling me that I can be a millionaire from day trading and I, <laughs> and <clears throat> that is not valuable to me in any way. So I think in that aspect, there I could see it becoming valuable just from the trust um, you gain with the users and creating this kind of more beneficial ecosystem, um, more so than forcing consumerism in one way. So I think this kind of win-win relationship has an abil- has a potential to work out. And I think that's what really in- intri- intrigues me about the business. And just quick take on the fun- fundamentals. Um, I mentioned like the revenue grew uh, 50% clip year over year. The gross margins are at a high 60s, probably like 70s. Um, their 2019 numbers, though, did get a big hit from their IPO. So practically something like 45% of their total expenses was in uh, stock options that just kind of got realized um, because of the IPO. So these were stock options that were issued from like 2009 and they're all fully vested, um, but they are now on the books because of the IPO. So the 2019 numbers will look skewed in some ways, but they're still, I'd say like barely free cash flow positive, just depending on how you swing the numbers, but it just wasn't enough for me to really care so much. Um, It was negligible at best. Um, On the management side, um, you know how much I love ownership and incentives. So uh, Ben Silverman owns something like 10% of all outstanding shares. This is after you kind of convert all the class B shares that him and his family owns into class, just kind of the whole collective A shares, which class Bs convert on a one-to-one basis to class A's, but each class B share accounts for 20, uh, 20 votes, whereas class A shares are one vote. So Ben has something like 25% of the voting control in the business, which doesn't give him majority because there's a lot of venture uh, capital funds and other institutional funds that all have pretty decent amounts of class B shares. So the large equity uh, institutional ownership does kind of turn me off in some way. Um, I'd imagine that a lot of the VC funds will divest once any kind of lockup period ends because they have to return money to their um, LPs. Um, in terms of compensation, I like that they don't have any short-term bonuses. So they either have a salary or a long-term bonus, but the long-term bonus is just an RSU for that vest over four to five years, which is you know, just standard for tech companies, but just not great. Um, the, the founders and kind of core execs did get big payouts as part of a IPO bonus. I think Ben Silberman and Evan Sharp, the other co-founder, they each got 45 million in stock awards and they vest over five years. And, you know, for me, I think it's, I don't know, I'm kind of mixed on it. I don't like seeing these, but at the same time, like you founded a company, it's $10 billion. If I was a founder, yeah, hell, like I would want a hundred million dollars in just pure cash, just cause like, I just want to make sure that 
I can have generational wealth kind of tied in and it's all safe and I would diversify 100%. So in one way, I think this is completely reasonable, but at the same time, it does it does kind of irk me <laughs> in some way. Um, I do like to see that Ben's salary is lower than the C-suite. It's more so a signal um, that, you know, he doesn't take himself so seriously in that aspect. Like usually you see the CEO make maybe twice as much as all the other C-suites, um, which I think is probably normal, but um, at the same time, a lot of tech company founders tend to make much less. And I think that's a very admirable sign, um, especially when they have a lot of equity ownership in the business. It, I think, is more of a sign of confidence um, as well as a desire to kind of stay long term. I know a salary of like $195,000 um, is laughable when you make $45 million in stock awards in one year. But I think that's something that I'll probably continuously monitor um, because it's, there's a lot of one-time things happening because the company IPO'd last year um not saying these are excuses but worth keeping in mind just for context and trying to put myself in their shoes another thing that though that does worry me um, on the culture side is just how a lot of the c-suite management so other than the co-founders everyone else um the kind of joined recently like 2018 for the coo 2017 for legal 2016 for cfo um for me this is more of a sign that they didn't actually that they didn't promote internally from internally and an indication that did of questions of did senior people leave? Um, do people just not want to lead the company or are people so incompetent that they don't want to, that you have to bring people from the outside? Like, don't get me wrong. All these C-suite people have done tours of duty in square Google and Twitter, but I never see that as a sign of confidence really. Like it doesn't tell me anything about their ability to build out Pinterest. It doesn't tell me anything about how much they know the business. It doesn't tell me anything about how effective of a leader they are, really. Um, so in that perspective, I think I'm just kind of iffy on the management situation. Um, the culture, I think, is decent. I think there's nothing particularly that stood out from an org structure point of view that I could find. And I did listen to, I think, tons of at least half a dozen um, interviews that, that were focused on addressing Pinterest culture and nothing really stood out for me. Um, so yeah, like I think even on like a valuation front, I didn't end up really doing much of a valuation. I didn't even end up doing much of a return on capital um, equation. This was just kind of more of an interesting company, but there wasn't enough for me to get too excited by, I think. But it's something I will keep an eye on um, just because I like that its product is slightly different from the other advertising platforms. Like I just feel like it has more value, um, better value to like people on just like a mental health side than others. Like I don't find, I think TikTok is a waste of time. I think Snapchat's a waste of time. I think Instagram um, is a waste of time. I'd say YouTube is pretty valuable um, to humanity. I think Twitter could be valuable, but at the same time, it has all these negative sides too, 100%. But I could see Pinterest being a very valuable product to people, um, which makes me want to keep an eye on it. But if I think about like, you know, like let's say, 10 years from now in 2030 like what what will make Pinterest succeed like what does what does success look like how big could it get like if I think about that question of you know in 10 years can it be 10 10 times its size that means it'll have a market cap you know at least of 100 billion dollars um on like an enterprise value basis and what does that look like well right now it's trading at on a multiple basis nine times EV to sales so that would mean that it would need to generate sales of about 11 billion. And if we assume that, let's say, eMarketer is wrong and 
So eMarketer predicts that the global digital ad market will be 500 billion plus in 2023. But let's say this slows down. Let's say it's actually $500 billion by 2030. And with 11 billion, you are looking at something like a 2% uh, market share for Pinterest, which makes me go, mm, it, that seems reasonable in some way. Like I could see it happen. Um, right now, market uh, Microsoft has a 2% market share in current day's um, digital ad market. So it would mean that Pinterest would have to have a significant enough position. Um, com- but compared to Pinterest, I think Twitter has just under 1% market share in the global ad uh, ecosystem. And Twitter is pretty, I'd say, ingrained into many facets of life, at least in the political realm, financial realm. So I think many things would need to happen for Pinterest to get there. Um, I feel the 2% number might seem small, but when I make a a comparative um, look at other digital platforms like you know, Twitter, which I'm more familiar with. I don't know. It It's always like, you know, the easy answer is that it's possible, but at the same time, I'm just not sure. And I'm just not as confident. But yeah, that's kind of my overview, my take, my opinions on the company. Um, I didn't go over a lot of the kind of details about the business and the market um, that I have in the report. So check out the report. Um, hopefully it's interesting for you. And yeah, hope this was fun. Hope you learned something and hope to have you back here again tomorrow. Take care.